Just Our Real Estate, episode number 102. You can get a deal uh, from here to Timbuktu if you know what to look for and how to get it done. All right, welcome and thank you for joining me here on Just Our Real Estate. My name is Mike Simmons, I'm your host, and I am excited to have you here today. Before we get started, I want to ask a small favor. When you get a moment after the show or pause it right now and go to my website at juststartrealestate.com. When you get there on the right hand side, there's a place where you can sign up for my mailing list. And I highly suggest you do that because when you sign up for my mailing list, I'm going to send you the top five resources that you should be using in your business right now. If you're not using them, you should be. And if you go there, I will send these resources to you immediately. These are resources that I use in my business all the time, and so do many other real estate investors who are just doing great things in real estate. So get there and check them out, and I will send you those resources immediately. Also, I want to announce that my coaching program is off the ground. It's running. I've got students currently that I'm coaching and talking to, and they are going to do great things this month. I am having an absolute blast working with them, and I would love to work with you. But this month is full, but you can still apply to be a student of mine next month. And the way you do that is when you go to my website at Just Start Real Estate, go to juststartrealestate.com forward slash coach. So that's Just Start Real Estate forward slash coach and when you go there you'll get all the information you need to apply to be one of my students i would love to have you i'm looking forward to talking to you and like i said the students that i'm working with now are awesome and i am excited about their business so go there and check it out and hopefully we'll be talking soon okay as far as today's episodes go i'm going to do something a little bit different and i'm actually really excited about this i had a great interview that i did early on in this podcast and the problem is early on I didn't have a lot of listeners so what I want to do today is I'm gonna replay one of my most popular interviews that I've done to date it was an episode uh, number four where I interviewed Ben Labovich now Ben is a phenomenally intelligent and successful real estate investor he's focused on long-term investing through buy-and-hold uh, properties this episode ranks among the very top shows that I have done in terms of popularity. People love this show, but you know what? I did it so early on, and now I've done, this is episode 102, so I've done 102 episodes as of today, and you know what? Some of these great interviews get buried, and it's just a bummer because you know I did this so early on, a lot of people just haven't seen it, so I am going to replay this one because I think it's really, really solid, and there's a really a lot of great information. Ben goes into some pretty good detail, and like I said, this guy is smart. I mean really smart. So listen closely, turn up the volume, get a pen and paper, and get ready for a great interview. All right, here we go. Thank you for joining us. I am super, super excited to have my guest on today, Ben Labovich. Ben has been investing in commercial and multifamily real estate since 2006. Ben's area of expertise is creative finance with an emphasis on nothing down. Ben works extensively with institutional and private capital. He's a licensed realtor with Yoakum Realty in Lima, Ohio, and is the creator of Cashflow Freedom University. Ben, thanks for being on. I appreciate it, man. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So, we talked a little bit before the interview. I know you're kind of close to me in Ohio there. I'm in Michigan. Um, what's, the, what's, you know, what's the state of real estate there in Ohio? Uh, the state of real estate is always good everywhere as long as you know what you're doing. <laughs> That's very true. Do, do you know what I'm saying, Mike? I mean, no, I, get, I hear you. You can get a deal uh, from here to Timbuktu if you know what to look for and how to get it done. Yep. Uh, I just I just love it when people say you can't. You know, maybe maybe you can't do certain things as well, and then what you have to do is change the position of the sale so that right. you pick up some wind, you know. Yes, not every strategy is going to work equally well every place you go. So what? You have to adjust. Sure. So I, I personally, I'm a long-term hold guy. 
I don't do a lot of flipping. I don't do a lot of wholesaling. Uh, and, you know, we'll probably get into this to a certain extent, but my mm-hmm. circumstance uh, sort of dictates that I am a passive cash flow as much as possible uh, guy, long-term whole guy. Uh, and you know what, that, Ben? Let's before we get too far, Ben. You know what? I think it'd be important. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think it'd be important for everyone to know. Let's let's take a step back a little bit. And let's talk about you personally, because when you say your situation dictates, I don't want people to be distracted with they don't know what that means. Let's for the people who haven't heard your story. Let's let's maybe go through that briefly and, and explain to them exactly what the situation is you're talking about. Uh, I'm a classically trained violinist. Uh, that that was what I was supposed to do in life. Uh, I played violin since the age of five. I attended the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. In the second year of my master degree, uh, long story short, I was diagnosed with a medical condition called multiple sclerosis, MS for short. Uh, the way this happened is, you know, I felt some uh, discomfort, some tingling in my legs. Uh, I, I went to see a doctor. I was ordered uh, to have an MRI of the brain done, uh, and I was due to uh, to go back and see the doctor again, and I didn't quite make it because my body just, just went nuts one evening, and I ended up in the emergency room, uh, with the right side of my face completely numb, uh, my my right arm feeling like a wet noodle. I just I just didn't feel it uh, almost at all. Uh, coordination was there was no coordination, and so uh, yeah, I remember laying in that in that bed. Uh, and and if I get emotional talking about this, uh, I apologize. But it gets me every time I start talking about this stuff because it's it's not the kind of stuff you forget. Right. Uh, so I apologize about that. But no, uh, no problem. No problem. I remember laying in that hospital bed and the and the ER attending doctor is approaching me and he's got these MRI images in his hands and he's looking at them as he's walking. He's looking down at the MRI images. He approaches my bed. He looks up. I will never forget that look. He looks up at me, and he says, I don't want you to panic, but the images here are consistent with MS. Well, I didn't know MS from anything else at the time. Sure. But as it turned out, MS is an autoimmune disease whereby very, very likely I will have highly inhibited capacity to move as time goes on. I could turn out very, very lucky, and that doesn't happen. But, you know, from everything every doctor has ever said to me, I'm probably going to have some issues down the road. Well, it is somewhat difficult to be a violin player and to be on stage if you don't know when your body is going to move the way you're supposed to move it. Yeah. And and so that brings us into why I am in real estate. Because you can't work, you can't make money, unless you make money passively, one way or the other. And yes, real estate is not the most passive way to make money. I'm, you know, I, it's probably a lot more passive than a lot of other things. It's certainly not a punch the clock at 9 o'clock and leave at 5 p.m. and and be done. (laughs) It's not like that, but it's not totally passive making money on the Internet without even looking at it. It's not like that either. But when back in the day, about a decade ago, plus or minus, considering my options, I realized I had to be an investor of some sort. I had to start a business. I had to invest in something. And I arrived at real estate as the most reasonable for me uh, vehicle simply because of this thing I I coined creative finance. I didn't have a lot of money. I I I wasn't really, I guess, smart enough to start a business. But I figured real estate been making fortunes forever. And the more I studied, the more I realized 
if you know how to do it right, you don't need a lot of money. So yeah. that brought me into real estate. Fantastic. And for the record, Ben, I, I know you. I know you were being modest, but you, you are actually. I've read. Uh, I've read a lot of your blog posts, and I, I've read a lot of the stuff you've you've written online. You are insanely smart, uh, especially when it comes to real estate. I, I mean, uh, that's one of the reasons I was very excited to have you on this podcast. Is is you you come across to me as uh, someone who's exceptionally bright, uh, at least in the area of real estate. I, I have not read your thoughts on a lot of other things, I guess, but uh, in real estate, you you are. Exceptionally Exceptionally bright, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm, I'm, I know you're being modest, but uh, I think you probably could have started almost any business you wanted. Thank you for the compliment. And you know, maybe I could have, but you know, it's a numbers game. How many yep. businesses fail? No, you're right. How many succeed? Right. Absolutely. Real estate is this wonderful thing where you can be a dummy. You can go buy yourself a fourplex. You can take care of that fourplex. And if you bought the right kind of fourplex in the right kind of location, 20 years from now, you're going to be so much better off than all your friends who are going to retire with Social Security. Yep. And it's real estate makes it possible, and you don't have to be that smart. Now, you know, exponentially, if you want to do really big things, well, maybe you need to be a little bit more creative, which is my world. But right. Real, that's why I chose real estate. It wasn't one of those things where, oh, I, you know, I'm so smart, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. It was the opposite. I figured, what am I least likely to fail in? Is it buying stocks? I mean, we're talking about 10 years ago. Do you remember right. what the stock market was doing? <laughs> it, yeah. it, besides the fact that you have to have a million dollars to invest, Right, you know, in the stock market to own a you know, million dollars of equity, which isn't the case in real estate, you know, as we all know. Yeah. Well, uh, I got into it uh, because I figured, you know, it was more bulletproof than a lot of other things. Uh, so I, I, I was approaching it from a standpoint of what am I least likely to fail in? <laughs> 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 for, be for better or worse, I guess the jewelry is still out, but for better or worse, I decided to open the real estate. So yeah, there I am today. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, why don't you tell me a little bit about the state of your business uh, currently, as it is today? Uh, you know, you said you're a buy and hold guy, right? So sometimes buy and hold guys, um, the size of their business is measured by the number of units that they uh, that they are in control over, that they own. How many units do you own? How many do you buy a year? What's your, you know, what's your business look like today? Okay. I currently own 28 residential units. Uh, most of them are small multifamily. Uh, I have, I think, what is it, three or four singles that I bought early on, but I tend to stay away from single-family residents from, from maybe about five years ago. I stopped buying them. Why? Why? I, um, I only do about a one deal, one deal a year, uh, because I'm very specific about what I pull the trigger on. It has to be, well, it's not like I choose for it to be an extraordinary opportunity. It just simply, my, my guidelines dictate that it must be an above-average opportunity. And most important guideline is that it has to be zero money down or as close to zero money down. And it has to be multifamily. So when you combine those two things, multifamily and zero money down, uh, those don't come along every day. Right. So now, can you can I you tell me briefly why do, why do you shy away from the single family? I, I think it'd be important for people to know because I think t the conventional wisdom is you you go and and get a bunch of single family houses, right? So why why do you shy away from those? What's your reasoning there? Well, there are many reasons. First of all, of course, management wise, there are strength in numbers. So if you have to replace ten roofs on ten single families, you're going to pay X. But if you have to replace ten roofs on a ten 10-unit apartment building, you're going to pay X minus exponentially less. Sure. Because, it's, you know, it's one crew, one place, one, you know, one purchase of shingles, you know, everything else. So yep. just management-wise, it makes sense. That's one thing. Uh, the other reason uh, is a lot more objective, so to speak. 
I like to do what is called force appreciation. I like to force the process of accumulating value. The reason I like to do that uh, is for several reasons, really. First of all, it's safety. So if you're buying an asset for you know $400,000, but there are things that you can do to improve the value of that asset to $400,000 or $500,000, then it creates safety. On your balance sheet, it creates safety at the exit strategy. Okay, it also creates equity whereby um, you can leverage and you can bridge that equity into acquisition of more cash flow. Because at the end of the day, all that I'm doing is buying cash flow. That's really all I care about. Okay, right. so what people need to understand is that uh, value setting mechanism in the single family world uh, is very different from multifamily world. Uh, and this is a long conversation, and I don't think we have time for the entire conversation. In no. fact, I wrote an e-book. I have a, uh, a book on Kindle right now. Maybe you can post a link to it or something. Uh, yep. a nice e-book, $3.99, probably the best value people are going to uh, spend on their education. But in the single what's family it, what's that market, called? Uh, give, give me the that, the name steps, of that. 13 steps to valuing your first multiplex. Got it. Okay. And just for the record, the show notes are found on juststartrealestate.com forward slash Ben Labovich. Okay. Go ahead. Continue. Okay. So in the single family world, uh, to establish or to determine or to approximate, I should say, value of a building, single family house, what we do is a comparative market analysis, which is to say that if you have a three-bedroom, two-bath house and you are trying to establish value, uh, possible value or probable value on this house, then you look to see what else sold. And so if what you can find is another three-bedroom, two-bath that was built around the same time with about the same kind of amenities in it, then it's probably, and in the same location, it's probably pretty close to what your house is going to be worth. Right. If you find a three-bedroom, one-bath, then the question you have to ask yourself is, okay, that three-bedroom, one-bath sold for $80,000. I've got three-bedroom, two-baths, plus I have a garage and the other house didn't. So how much more is my house likely to sell for because it's got an extra bathroom and an extra garage? That's the rationale. So you start with the sold comp. We call them comparables, sold comp, and you adjust the sales price, which equates to value at this point, mm -hmm. of that sold comp to approximate value on your residence. Now, the problem with that is that on Friday, I am willing to spend $3,000 to have another bathroom, but on Saturday, I'm only willing to spend 1000 period, because people change their minds by the minute. Right. So this process of comparable market analysis is a very uh, kind of, I would even say, irrational process. It just depends. You have to find somebody in the mood. If you have pink tile in your bathroom, somebody comes in and they like it, boom, they take it, and they'll pay you $3,000 more for it. But somebody else won't. Now, on the opposite side of this, we have kind of a rational method of evaluating income property, which basically says that the value of income-producing real estate is a function of its income. So if I want to generate $10,000 a year on a building, and I'm willing to deploy capital so long as I receive a 10% rate of return, well, then I'm going to be able to spend $100,000 because 10000 is 10% of $100,000. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at a building and you analyze the financials of the building and you analyze the expense structure, you analyze the income structure, you, you do all that analysis, and you realize, okay, this building, this fourplex is generating $600 a month of cash flow. Cash flow is income minus expenses which includes the expenses include the uh, uh, cost of money. Now, the net operating income, which is really the key here, 
is the expenses excluding the cost of money. So let's say you find yourself a fourplex with each unit rented for $500 a month. The building brings in $2,000. Your gas, your electric, your property taxes, your insurance, all of those rest of the costs, let's say your net operating income, which is left after those costs, is $1,250. Well, let's keep it simple, $1,000. Right. Let's keep it simple, $1,000 a month. So it's net operating income, $12,000 a year. Now, if I ask you, if you are willing to deploy capital at a 10% rate of return, and you just saw a building with $12,000 return, aren't you going to be willing to spend $120,000 for it? Sure. Yeah, you will be. It's a very rational process. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is looking at numbers. There's, there's no funky business here, right? right? Now, at the end, you then have to adjust this number for the condition of the building and a lot, a lot, a lot. That's exactly what I discuss in this book, okay? But where what I do comes into play is I look at this building and I think to myself, what if I could increase the rents from $500 a month to $550 a month, thereby generating an extra $200 a month? That $200 flows to the NOI, net operating income, because there is no expense associated to offset that, which is $2,400 a year. Well, at that same 10% rate of return, which is really a capitalization rate, that $2,400 of income, extra income, constitutes a value of $24,000. Yep. Okay? Because when I go to sell this building or I go to refinance the building, uh, the seller or the bank, they're going to be looking at what the building is producing in terms of income and then capitalizing the value based on that net operating income. Now, there's a limit to this, of course. You have to be reasonable. So if everybody is paying in the range of between forty and $50,000 a unit in your town, you're not getting seventy. I mean, right. let's, not, let's, let's be reasonable there. But if you can find an undervalued asset and then you can bring it up, there's a lot of value to be had. And that's, in essence, what I do. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And if, and if anyone doubts what I was saying earlier about uh, how smart you are, <laughs> I think we just answered that question. I think most people should, should, when they're listening to this, should stop it, go back, and re-listen to everything you just said. Not because it's confusing, but because it's incredibly chocked full of good, solid information and just great advice. That's Man, that's great. That's good stuff. Now, I have a, maybe a dumb question for you. I'm, I, I don't do multifamily right now. I'm, I'm, I do more uh, flips. But mm-hmm. when it comes to when you raise those rents, like you talked about, and then you thereby increase the value of that um, of that property or the, what it's worth, how, what kind of a track record do you need with those rents? Can it? Can you date? You know, the next month it's worth more, or does, does do? Did you no. need to have a track record? No, you have to season things. Obviously, right. you know you can't you can't do this overnight. But the bottom line is, the reason I am buying property is not so that I can put extra value on my balance sheet, mm-hmm. or it's not so that I can flip it. In fact, I buy property with full intention of holding on to it until I'm retired. Okay. If somebody comes along and offers me great money for it. Sure, I'll consider selling it, but I never buy anything that either due to what it is or due to the conditions of financing or due to anything else in my plan of action would require me to sell because I hate to have to sell. Right. And that's like having one of your hands tied behind your back and somebody forcing you off a cliff. I want to sell on my own terms, if ever. So I don't want to buy anything. This is why I don't do flipping because flipping, in essence, you got to sell. That's the whole strategy. That is the that yeah. is the business model. You, you, you that's the model. You can buy 
in such a way so that if you don't sell, you can rent. But it works that way in some markets. It doesn't work that way in other markets. I mean, there's no way that you can rent a three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollar house yeah. for enough to break even. Uh, you know, in in most markets, you know, and I see people doing that stupidity all over the place. Yeah, well, I, I agree. As a flipper, I would say when you go in to do the renovations, if you don't know what your exit strategy is or if you have to downshift into a rental model, you probably over-rehabbed for a rental. You know what I mean? If you're planning on flipping it and you end up renting it, you probably did things to it that you wouldn't have done had you we were just going to rent it to begin with. Exactly. <clears throat> okay. Well, yeah, I, and I think that it's important for people to understand you know, the difference in what you're talking about with multifamily versus single family. And that's specifically why I asked. I've heard you talk about it and I've read enough of, of, of things that you've written to know exactly why you're doing it. But there is a difference in how you value the, uh, the, the property itself and there's a difference in how you can add value to it. And I think that that's the critical part there. Um, I think it, the, the big difference is that with a flip, what we're doing is we're not adding value. We're, we're buying something that's really run down, and therefore it's well beneath the value that the marketplace says it should be. The marketplace has discounted its, its, its value due to its condition. And then what we're doing is we're bringing it back to that meter mark of where it should be. Right. So we're not really going past that meter mark. In multifamily, I can do that, but I can also go past that point. So, in other words, I can find an undermanaged property, and I can bring it to where it needs to be, but then I can build up on that. So, I feel like I have more spread. Yeah. Nope. That's awesome. That's very cool. So, who out there, Ben, do you read? Who do you who do you listen to? Who do you admire? Who do you look up to? Who do you think really knows what they're talking about in real estate? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm blessed to have had... Uh, several people in my life that have that have talked to me and uh and mentored me. I mean I go into mention mention any names here because uh, uh, I'm sure they would appreciate not having lines of people line up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you that it took me years to build these relationships. That this didn't happen overnight. It it took years and it took transactions, and it just took all kinds of things. Now, on a daily basis, I have to tell you, the community on thebiggerpockets.com mm -hmm. is my second home. Yeah. I mean, and I, I have my, my own website and my own blog and, and everything else, but I just tend to spend more time on the bigger pockets than any place else. Uh, a lot of people on bigger pockets are the people that I want to listen to. Yep, great community, okay. great conversations. I, I I couldn't agree more. I think it's a fantastic site, and it's uh, the quality is uh, is remarkable. Yeah, I I agree with you. Yeah, and I'm I'm fortunate. I write on their blog as as one of the featured uh, writers, and I. I, you know, I found I found them about eight months ago, and I feel like I'm friends with everybody there. It, it's really an incredible thing. Um, it, if you have a question about real estate, it's like somebody out there knows the answer. Yeah, sure, yeah. absolutely. And I and I see I'm on your website right now. Actually, I not not on Bigger Pockets, but on your your actual website. Um, uh, just ask com, and I see you do mentoring and, and public speaking, and I, I think you do some coaching and things like that. What do you, in your opinion, and I, and I know you you're on you're very active in bigger pockets. What do you see that the biggest real estate, uh, the, I'm sorry, the biggest mistakes that new real estate investors are making uh, in their business? What, what's some of the misconceptions? What what are the things they're doing that just make you cringe or you know go, oh my gosh, not again? Yeah. Well, um, I, I'll tell you this. I, I wrote an article. I can't remember which one it was, but I came up with a line that I think is just great. Uh, they think that real estate investing is fast and sexy like their high school girlfriend. <laughs> and at some point, they need to grow up. 
because yeah. real estate investing is, you know, it's the forward is very slow. The reverse is very quick, and it hurts like hell. Yeah, and it's, and it's not <laughs> if sexy. You make, if you make mistakes in this sport. <laughs> but, you know, forward is very slow if for no other reason than the amount of knowledge that's required. Right. I mean, it's just we have to know a lot. And we still make mistakes, and that's fine. We work through them. But hopefully we make more good decisions than bad decisions. But it's it, it just it, that maturity, that intellectual worth takes time. And yep. I see people all the time, uh, you know, I have a plan within two years, X, Y, Z. And I just laugh. Yeah. Yeah, I think they underestimate the work and the time involved to do it right and to, and to actually build something meaningful. I, I think that's that way in a lot of businesses, frankly. I, and people try to get things done overnight, and you know, just anything good usually doesn't work that way. It's an anomaly if it does. Usually, I, I completely agree. And the other yeah. thing is, you know, if I don't hand my money to a stockbroker, it's because I think I can do it better. So, you know, this whole idea that somebody's going to take you by the hand and do it for you doesn't really work for me. Nope. So I think coaching is a good thing, and I think mentoring is a good thing, but ultimately you got to get out there and do it. Don't be going and buying a turnkey property that somebody else figured out how to make nothing something out of nothing, and now they're going to manage it for you. Uh, I just, I, 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 you know, people approach me all the time about, we'll finance it to you 100%. Just take it. I don't yeah. want it. Why would I take <laughs> it? Have you seen what you got? Yep. Thanks, yep. but no thanks. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, can you take us through one, speaking of these, you know, deals, can you take us through one of a, one of your typical deals that you've done in the past, just to give people an idea of, of some of the numbers, if you don't mind? Um, what, what's a typical deal? <laughs> well, I know. No deal's typical. All right, let's do this. Can you take us through your last deal? Uh, okay. I'll take you through my last deal. Okay. Um, in February of this year, I bought a 10-plex. Uh, it's actually uh, two fiveplexes, two buildings sitting next to one another, 1980 construction, two stories, town home setups, uh, one and a half baths on either end, one baths on the inside, three one baths on the inside of each building. When I bought this, let me tell you, the purchase price was 373.5, so okay. I paid 37,305. Uh, for uh, per unit, right? My monthly gross income stood at uh, a little over $5,800. My operating costs, and this is everything inclusive of, you know, property taxes, fire insurance, water, sewer, trash, electric, all that, all, all of that vacancy factor, maintenance, everything, right? Everything together, about 2400 so my monthly NOI, my net operating income, was about $3,400. So you have to know that in Lima, Ohio, a building like this, if you talk to a banker and say, how do I place value on this? They're going to tell you use a 10 cap, meaning a 10% capitalization rate on the net operating income. Well, net operating income that I had at that time of $3,400 a month is about a little bit over $40,000 a year. So I capitalized the 10%. That gives you a value of about $410,000, 409000 So okay. I paid three seventy three five. I paid a little bit less, not a lot less, uh, nothing much really to write home about. But I knew that I would have vacancies. I knew that I would have repairs because I knew that what I was buying wasn't necessarily a building that was bad, but it was a building that was mismanaged. The wrong kind of people got into the building. And so that equaled to unstable tenant base. 
And so I knew I'd have a job to clean things up, okay? So I wanted a discount, and I felt like, you know, $30,000, whatever it is, of this discount was enough, okay? So this building, uh, the way that I financed this thing is um, I, I took a commercial note for 70% LTV, okay? Yep. And then I had a private note for 25% of the uh, purchase price. Okay. Now, 5% I was supposed to bring, but after all, you know, at closing, after all the prorations and everything else, it cost me a little over $5,000. So I brought a check for $5,000 to closing. Now, there's a couple of points that are interesting in that because what you need to know is that as is, <clears throat> without touching it, that building showed $1,000 of cash flow a, do, uh, a month, which there's 10 units, so that's $100 a door. Right. right. That's kind of a rule of thumb. Fully financed, a building should be bringing in $100 a door of cash flow minimum in order for me to be interested, okay? Yep. Now, the other thing that it needs to have is it needs to have capacity to do better than that. Now, it may take some capital for me to go in and to fix things that need to be fixed. It, I may have to take a hit on vacancy because I'm kicking people out who are not paying or not playing by the rules. I'm putting people in. I'm spending some money. Sure. This is exactly why I look for nothing down deals or as close to it as I can get because I'm buying an undermanaged asset, which means I will need to manage it. That takes time, yes, but it also takes money. So I want to spend my money where it creates value. So most sure. people, you know, put a 25, a deal like that would have cost 25% down. That's $100,000. And then financing maybe would have freed up, you know, an extra $500 of cash flow. You know, what's, right. what's $100,000 6%, you know, amortized 20 years, whatever. Yeah. Right? So that's what most people would have done. Now, I'm still going to get that cash flow, but I'm going to get it through expandability by building it, by forcing it, just like I mentioned in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So what I've been doing to this building is that I've been cleaning up our act there. I've been lowering expenses. I applied to have my taxes lowered. I did uh, by about $125 a month. And uh, I've been cleaning up and re-renting units. And this is not done yet, but when it is done, the rents are going to be not 5800 but probably in the neighborhood of 6200 to 6300 And the expenses are not going to be 2400 They're going to be about 2200 So whereas I started with $1,000 of cash flow, I am conservatively going to be looking at, you know, $1,500 of cash flow and possibly more. Right. Right? So I'm lowering expenses. I'm increasing the income. And this is what multifamily allows me to do. Now, let's look at these numbers. So I bought the building for $373,500. The building was arguably worth you know, a little bit over 400 but whatever. I paid 373.5, so let's say that's what it's worth. What does increasing the net operating income by, let's say, from a thousand, uh, from 3,400 dollars a month to, let's say, uh, you know, 4,200 dollars a month? What does that do? That's 700 dollars. That's 8,400 dollars a year capitalized at 10%, that's $84,000, right? Yeah. So I'm building equity in the amount of $84,000. But wow. more importantly, 
I'm going from $1,000 of cash flow to, you know, $1,400, $1,500, $1,600. That's why I bought the building. I really don't care so much about the value except for that it's safety. If something happened in my life and I needed to sell quickly, then I have a building on my hands whereby the numbers justify value of close to, you know, 475 485 but I can sell it for 415 and still walk out with my shirt on my back if I needed to. In the meantime, the whole reason I bought it is to put money in my pocket. And I'm taking $1,000 into 1500 or more. Wow. Right? So that's awesome. The capitalized value cool. there is just a side effect. Yeah. Now, it's a positive side effect because in my world, I can then go and, you know, my my full financing on this building ended up being, uh, what, 350 grand, 360, whatever it is. Right. Uh, and I've got, so I've got 360,000, let's say a year down the road when, when this this whole repositioning, we call it, process is further down the line. I've got a building whereby my financing stands at 360, but the value of the building is close to 480. Is there a value in that? Can I refinance, do something? Can I, can I bridge that equity into further acquisitions? In my world, yes and yes and yes. Absolutely. Now, awesome. <laughs> it, it may not be conventional methods, yeah. But in the world of creative finance, yes, there are things that we can do with that equity. Wow. That's awesome. So, that really is that I mean, yeah, that's that's a that's a great case for multifamily. That really is. I mean, well, but I mean, I don't want to I don't want to make it sound too glamorous because you know what? Uh, you have vacancies. Sure. You have you have deadbeats. And you have to not be afraid to file file eviction and have an attorney and have expenses and clean house and replace roofs and do plumbing and do all kinds of stuff. You know, you just it's it's not uh, it's not all very very attractive and clean. You know, but that's the job that I chose. Right, uh, and uh, it does get difficult at times because, you know, once the thing is stabilized, then you're sitting there and collecting cash flow and you're thinking, man, I'm smart. But yeah. when you're in the middle of it and you're taking hits <laughs> right and left. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm laughing because that's, that's a great point. And I think that's, that's what we talked about a little bit earlier is it's not fast and sexy. It, you know, if you just step out of it and talk about, you know, the broad strokes, it sounds great, but the reality is there's a lot of in-the-trenches type work that you're going to be doing, and, and if if you don't understand that, you're going to be shocked when you're in the middle of it, right? It's not sure. it's not all cash flow and, and appreciation and, and force value and all that. It's There's work involved, and, and it's not always clean and glamorous. Matter of fact, it's rarely clean and glamorous. There's a lot of work involved. A lot there's of work involved. involved and, and it's... Uh... You know, but that with that you come back to why are you doing it? So I have a wife, I have two kids, and MS or no MS, I gotta do something special here. Yep. Because yep. they gotta have the life that they gotta have. Yep. And this is what I can do. And you know, I have twenty eight units and when this thing is stabilized uh, I'll have a, a very nice chunk of cash flow, and that's with all the financing that's in place. Uh, and then I just start paying stuff off, and eventually, you know, they're going to be just fine, which is a weight of my shoulders. But in the meantime, when I'm in the middle of it, when I'm in the, in the dirt, it's not glamorous, and people don't understand that. People walk into real estate, oh, this is my answer to everything. Well, it can be, but there's a lot of stuff in the middle. Sure. Now, okay, Ben, if I if I were to take away all, you know, all, all 28 units, right, and tell you I'm taking away your money, and you're going to start over. 
from scratch with only the knowledge that you've accumulated, not not none of your units, none of that. How would you start? If you were going to do this over again from scratch, what would you do? How would you spend your time? What would you do first? Uh, you know, that's a difficult question, but I would, as likely as anything else, I would probably research buying notes. Really? Yeah. Because it's passive. It requires knowledge. But but I don't know how possible that is because notes are attractive to me today because of what I know about real estate, because of understanding how real estate works. I have no idea how you come in from outside of real estate and you manipulate notes. I don't, I don't know. Um, but it's a difficult question to answer because uh, energy breeds energy. Uh, as you get more experienced and as people see that you're more experienced, you begin to attract players, both sellers, buyers, financiers. So it's difficult for me, really hard for me to imagine where I would start if I had yeah. to do it over again. I like uh, that. Uh, I like that comment you made. Energy breeds energy. That's that's cool. I've never I've not heard that before. I don't know if you just coined that or, but uh, yeah, that's that's cool. And you're right. You're absolutely right. The more you do, the more opportunities that seem to present themselves. Right, and it's almost like sometimes you have to spin your wheels in space without even you have to fake it almost yeah and hope for something to happen and usually it does if you if you generate energy around yourself uh something is going to happen but i really can't answer that question um it's it's difficult for me to remove myself from what i know but fundamentally it it would be something passive i would either try to do the same thing i'm doing now or even more passive in terms of paper. Now, are notes something that you're thinking about getting into anyway? I mean, forget starting over. From where you are right now, is that something you're focusing on? I'm not doing notes right now, but I will be. Eventually, that's something that I will do, yes. Good. And and when you do that, let me know, and I'd like to get you back on and and see what you're doing and and how you're going about it, because I think that that's an area of real estate that's that not a lot is talked about sometimes, you know, in, in a lot of forums and discussions, that's not usually the first thing that people are discussing. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's cool. And that would be very interesting to hear now, just as we're moving forward here and we're, we're running a little bit close on time, but I, there's a couple more things that I really want to talk to you about. And one of them is in your business and in the situation, and the way you run your business, I assume that you, have resources that you use that you are fond of that help you along and, and help you run your business the way you do. If you don't mind, can you list maybe one or two that you can think of that you really like and that you utilize? It could be an app. It could be a website. It could be anything, a book, any, anything that you have leaned on and to help you in your business. Sure. My main resource is my wife. Your wife, you said? My wife. Your wife, okay. When it comes to anything having to do with paperwork, having to do with bookkeeping, uh, accounting, it's it's her plus QuickBooks. QuickBooks, okay. I would lose my face in QuickBooks. I wouldn't know which end of it to begin on with. She handles all that, and I'm blessed. My other resources are my attorney, and my CPA. Uh, You know, they're not really my professional service people. They're really my advisors. And so when I have questions, they're on my speed dial. And I highly recommend that if anybody's going to get into real estate, that you, you make this habit for yourself. Yep. No, that's solid advice, and that's you know, it's it's yeah, it's solid advice, and honestly, I think too few people um, reference an attorney or and or a CPA when they're doing this. They they just go out there and start doing, and they don't ever talk to the the right people. You know, they don't put they don't position themselves and protect themselves the way they should. 
Well, I, I, these, look, I have people on my speed dial. One of my good friends owns 650 units or whatever. It might be 560 units. I might be getting the numbers crossed. But the point is, if I'm wondering about what the vacancy factor in a certain area is, guess who I'm calling? Because if he yep. tells me his is running 6%, then I know pretty much the vacancy factor in this area is 6%, period, done. Right. Right? Uh, same can be said about my banker. See, what people, I think, here's the problem. And I really, I, I with the advent of the Internet, it's very tempting to impersonalize business that somehow we're going to go into a form, and like we talked about, the bigger pockets, fabulous. And you can get answers to just about anything. That's as much my resources in it. You know what? John Holdman is one of the guys on bigger pockets. And I had a question. I had a question. I didn't know if he would know, but he seems to know everything else. So I called him, talking about resources. But with the Internet, I think it's so tempting for people to impersonalize this business just like any other business. But it's also a cop-out because to stand there in front of the CPA who's probably going to laugh at you because you're, you're just a dummy. You don't know anything. Right. But no, we're going to protect ourselves from that. We don't like being laughed at. It's going to hurt our feelings. And so we're going to get online. And we're going to look for those answers. I, I'm, I just don't think, I think the Internet is a hugely valuable tool. But at the end of the day, you got to stand there and find the real people. And you got to tell them, let the universe know what you're about and what you're about to do. And yep. let the chips fall where they may. A lot of them will laugh at you. That's okay. Wouldn't be the first time. Shouldn't be the last time. Yep. Yep, I agree with you. If you've never been laughed at, then chances are you've never told anyone what you're trying to do, or like you said, you've never stood in front of people and, and asked them questions that you know were uncomfortable. That's exactly right. And my CPA, uh, she didn't laugh. Let me tell you, she wasn't the first one I spoke to, but she didn't laugh. She took me by the hand, she took a chance, and, you know, I've been with her for ages, I don't know, eight years, and yeah. we'll be with her forever because I'm that way. Yep. No, that's good advice. So if you had to give one last parting piece of advice to anyone listening who's interested in real estate, maybe hasn't started yet, but they know they're interested, maybe have a little bit of money set aside, not a lot of time, you know, full-time job and a family, but they want to get started, they're looking for just some some kind of guidance. What would you tell them? I would probably tell them three things. Number one, figure out why you want this. Because right. there, I think there are easier ways to get things done. In the end, not as gratifying, but in the process, easier and less painful because real estate is really not, it's not as glamorous. You know, when you retire, it will possibly be that glamorous. But in the process, it just isn't. Mm -hmm. So when you get up in the morning, what is it that's going to make you get up and go do it again? Because, you know, yesterday was just crabby. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong yesterday. Yeah. Why are you not going to give up? Yep. I know what it is for me, but I have an easier task of it because life has decided that for me. Most people have to make that choice. That's why so few people succeed in this game or anything else because it's very difficult to make that choice. Yep. So that's, that's the first thing. Figure out why you want to do what you say you want to do. The second choice is get, uh, second advice is get educated. Real estate, it's, it's complex, but it's easy enough 
to where I think somebody, I can't remember who said it, don't worry about learning the tricks of the trade, just learn the trade. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that too. Somebody said that. Well, it's not my quote. Somebody said that. I can't remember who it was, but it's it's uh, it's really true. It, it's <laughs> it's complex. You, you, yeah. There's a lot of places to mess up, but really, if you study and if you have any kind of predisposition to numbers, and by the way, you have to understand numbers to play this game. This it's just a given. Yep. Sorry if people out there want to try to play real estate and you're not good with math. Figure that out. You got to figure that out. Yeah, I'll tell you what. If you're not great at math and you somehow manage to get involved and in, in, in have any success, you will become good at math. At least the math that's required for real estate investing. Sure. And it's, again, it's not terribly a lot of math, but you have to put that yeah. uh, in its place, right? Yep. And the third is um, don't give up. Yeah. Because you're going to want to on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't give it, up. Yeah. I tell you. <laughs> yeah, you that is. Know, yeah. Right? Yeah. You yeah, know. yeah. I think anyone who's who's has been investing investing for any length of time is laughing right now because, man, there's so many times where you just go, "What am I doing?" But you know what? Listen, we're doing it right. So there must be a reason. At the end of the day, there's a good reason. Everyone has their own reason, like you said. But I have my reasons, you have your reasons, um, but it's not for everyone. And there are times when you're just going to want to throw your hands up and say, this is this is ridiculous, because you're right. Things will go horribly wrong sometimes, uh, and you have to be able to get you have to be able to get through that and, and not give up. Ben, I really I just want to say again, thank I really appreciate you coming on. It, I mean, you're super inspirational. You're ridiculously intelligent in the area of real estate for sure. And I highly encourage everyone to go to your website, justaskbenwhy.com. Explore. There's a lot of information on the site. Uh, also, like you said, you can find him at Bigger Pockets, where he is uh, a featured blogger there and, and quite active as well. Um, man, once again, thanks a lot. Is there anything else you want to let anyone know in terms of how they can get a hold of you if they want? Or is there any anything else that you want everyone to know before we go? I'm on Facebook at forward slash Just Ask Ben. I am uh, on Twitter uh, at forward slash Just Ask Ben. I am on uh, LinkedIn, Ben Leibovich. Uh Any any place that uh, your listeners want to get a hold of me, I'd be happy to uh, uh, happy to reciprocate and, and talk to everybody. Um, I, I thank you for having me on. Uh, it is inspirational to me to think that somebody out there wants to know what's in my head because it ain't much. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> I think I beg to differ. I, I, we, I have a whole podcast of proof that there's a lot going on up there and, it, and it's all good stuff. And just to re reiterate to uh, the show notes and everything we talked about and all the resources will be at my website at juststartrealestate.com forward slash Ben Labovich. And just again, the spelling of the last name is L-E-Y-B-O-V-I-C-H. So you can find everything we talked about there. You can talk to Ben on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Go to his website. He's at uh, uh, Deeper Pockets. He's all over the Internet. Tons of information. I've been on his website here before we talked a little bit as we were talking. There is an astounding am amount of information on his website. So uh, a tremendous resource and no reason to say you, you didn't know unless uh, you go there and, and find out. I Thank appreciate you, you, Ben. Thank you very much, and you have a great evening. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Please also be sure to sign up for my mailing list in order to gain access to my list of the top five essential resources that all real estate investors should know about. I'll not be giving these away on the podcast. They're exclusive to my email subscribers. These are the resources that I and anyone who's serious about real estate should use as well. The best thing about these resources is that they're free or extremely inexpensive. So once again, I thank you for taking time out of your day and spending it here with me. Until tomorrow, this is Mike Simmons saying that if you're serious about creating income in real estate, there's only one thing that can make that dream a reality. Just start.